Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. struggle that really goes on in the hearts and the lives of many of those who know Christ as their Savior, where they'd hear you hear the person just crying out unto the Lord to restore them. It reminded me of the words of even David, who, great man after God's own heart, still had failures in his life, and yet he would say to the Lord, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't say, give me my salvation back that I lost. He just says, I want the joy that's within my salvation, and he wanted to have that back. And as I think about that, I believe that today's message will greatly help you if you'll get a grasp on this, that will not only help you for yourself, but it will also help you as you begin to disciple others. Now let me quickly say that today's message is really coming from a portion of Scripture where Paul was speaking to those who already knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, this context of Scripture we're going to cover is directly related to you and perhaps some of the struggles that you have. Now, I was one of those that did not get saved when I was very, very young. I was a 16-year-old kid. I wasn't real bad, but I knew that I needed Christ. And when I came to faith in Christ, something new began within me. Almost immediately, there was a love affair that I had for God's Word. Perhaps it was because I've never had a Bible and I didn't know God's Word. I knew it was out there and I knew Bibles were there, but I didn't know it. But from that moment on, I really wanted to know God's Word. There was a sense of settleness knowing that I was going to heaven and that my sins were paid for and that I can't even explain this. There was this knowledge that God was real and Jesus was real and more than a theological, historical figure, He was real to me, although it was very vague, like a new friend I was trying to make, but I didn't know. And so at the very beginning of this, I have to tell you that there was a lot of joy, a a, a sense of growth and a passion for the Lord, almost like my struggles with that area of my life were over. And so I was really on a real high. But shortly thereafter, as I was seeking the Lord more and more, the reality of the nasty here and now began to set in. I trusted Christ on a Thursday night. And on Monday when I went to high school, back to school, I couldn't wait to be able to tell my friends that I came to know Christ as my Savior. And I was smacked right in the face with the words of some of my friends that said, well, where are you going when you die? I said, heaven. They said, where is heaven? I said, well, it's out there. And then they said, oh, it's kind of like the fourth dimension. And then they went on for an hour mocking me and mocking my new belief. And so again, that rattled me enough to begin to cause me to maybe not question my faith, but to understand what was going on. And so you'll find that new believers have that momentary, often, have that momentary euphoria. And then after that, they start really wobbling in their faith. And that's when they need someone to come alongside them to accurately teach them what's going on on the inside, which I'll explain in just a moment. And then there are those who, as you become older in the Lord and maybe much more mature you find yourself really hungering and thirsting and panting after the Lord. You really do want to live for the Lord. That's what really brought you to that maturity, and you're growing. But the, the longer you're abiding in the Word, the longer you're really hungering and thirsting after the Lord, you're finding that the battle becomes even more severe than it was before, that there's inner conflicts. The more you want to do good, the more you see yourself as depraved and wicked and feeling like, I just can't make it. What is wrong with me? There's something going on inside of me. And you struggle with that. 
And some almost, because of uh, their heart and that old nature, and of course Satan, they almost give in to that struggle that they, they're, they're dealing with the struggle more than dealing with the one who will relieve them from the struggle because they haven't been taught properly what I trust you'll be taught here today. And then there are those of you who maybe are outside the faith that are listening to me, and you're looking at those who uh, you've heard say that they have trusted Christ, that they're Christian. But then you look at their life and you say, how can they be a Christian when they do certain things that are just not right? And yet at other times they're going to say, but I am a Christian. I really did trust Christ. These are the folks that have what I call an up and down Christian life. In a sense, that's not entirely inaccurate because all of us as a Christian will have up and down. But as Charles Ryrie says in his book, and he does it so well, he says, while we go up and down, that little chart ought to still go up more and more and more. So we go up, but we go down a little less. Go up a little higher, go down a little less. And as we're still going up, but we still struggle. That's why I caution Christians against looking at another person to try to say, oh, they must be a Christian. Look at how good they are. I could look at some people that are involved in the cults that really embrace a what we might call godly or a legalistic lifestyle and say they must be Christians by how they live. We can't do that. Or we look at another person who says that they're a Christian, they don't look like a Christian, they don't act like a Christian, they don't talk like a Christian, and we look at them and we say, well, they must not be a Christian. They may just be having a King David bad day, we might say. And that doesn't mean that they're not saved. It just means that the snapshot of their life at that moment indicated that they were acting like someone who had an old nature that really wasn't saved. So God didn't call us to be fruit inspectors. He did call us to be Christians who are growing in our faith. So today, I titled the message, The Battle That's Inside of Us, so that maybe you'll understand how you can help other people. And those that are unsaved, they could also understand that Christians, um, they're not perfect, they're forgiven. That's not to say that we're to continue in sin that grace may abound, but to deal with this thing biblically. Now, I'm saying all of that that I just said because in the context of Scripture, we're in the section of Romans that's often referred to as sanctification. That means being set apart for the glory of God and a purpose that He has for us. So it's, our, it's a progressive sanctification. We've covered in Romans chapter 6 a lot about sin and what it does to us and how we ought not to yield to that. And then in the beginning of chapter 7, we talked about how that when we trusted Christ, we're really dead to the law. But now we're in a section of Scripture that deals with all these concepts of the inner conflict. So if you have the, the outlines I've provided for you, you might want to get them out with your Bible because I want to take you through some of the points. Now, we will go through it expositionally, but I'm giving you an outline that is not an expositional outline necessarily to help you understand about the battle inside of you, especially if you're struggling with that battle where you feel like you're just, you're just not winning it. And in other days, you're wondering how come it's going so well and how we might help you with it. So let's begin by talking about two natures that we have, that we have two natures. The first point will be that when you trusted Christ as Savior, you get what is known as the new nature, or the new man, we might say. So it's the new self, and I like that term, the new self. So if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have the new self. Now, at the same time, when you're born in the world, you receive what I call the old self. So that's the second nature. The old self actually comes before the new self. So when you're born into this world, then you get the old self. When you're born again into God's family, you get the new self. You're all inside of you, and now you choose what you're going to do with each one of those and how you're going to yield to them. We'll talk more about that in a moment. It's almost like you're schizophrenic. 
Two commentators, I don't know if they copied from one another or not, alluded to the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing that goes on inside of you. I like to relate maybe to more of me when I was a kid. They used to have a commercial on television. Do you remember the Certs commercial? They said, it's a breath mint. No, it's a candy mint. No, it's a breath mint. No, it's a candy mint. And then they said, no, it's two mints in one. Well, in a sense, that's what's happening. Is it the old nature? No, you're not just old nature. Is it just the new nature? No, it's not just the new nature. You're actually two natures inside of you, and they have this big struggle that's going on. So we need to know that there is a conflict that goes on between it, and that's what we're going to be covering today. And that conflict is something that Paul alluded to on more than one occasion. You'll find the old nature, the new nature mentioned in the book of Romans. You'll find it alluded to in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But he also talks about it in a conflicted way in Galatians chapter 2. So let me read this to you if you don't mind. Galatians Galatians chapter 5. And it goes like this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, which would be the old man, the old self, the old desire to do wrong. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, or conflict. They're opposite and they conflict. So that you may not do the things that you please, or the things that you wish, or the things that you want to do, because you have this battle going on inside of you. Now, throughout the message, maybe for a little bit of an object lesson so I can kind of move around a bit, I'd like you to look up here. And those of you that are listening to this, you might not be able to see this or you won't be able to see this, but I hope you can follow. I'm going to let my right arm right here represent our old nature, the old self, okay? I'm going to let my left arm over here represent the new nature. So I have the old nature and I have the new nature. When I was born, I had the old nature inside of me. When I trusted Christ as Savior, positionally, the old man was put to death, but I still have it practically. That old nature, that old self is still there. But at the same time when I trusted Christ, I was given not only the Spirit of God, which we're going to study in a couple of weeks, because all that fits in. The Spirit of God is critical to this study. But right now, at the same time, we were born again, regenerated, and we received a new nature. And what this verse is saying in Galatians chapter 5, in our context today, is one nature is conflicted against the other nature, so you really can't do the things that you would like until you know that the Spirit of God has set you free from this when you trusted Christ, and through His power you can live that victorious Christian life. Now let's go back to the old nature. The old nature is sinful, it cannot be improved, All right, this old man right here is bad. It will do everything that's contrary to that which would be of God. It's that uh, depraved nature that you have, the old self. The new nature, it has the desire to please God, to follow God, to love God, to know God. It's that part of you that seeks that inner relationship with the Lord. Now we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that while this was given to you, it can be renewed. So in other words, although you have all of it now, that new nature can be strengthened. Catch very carefully. But nothing you do can improve upon this nature here, the old nature. It is already wrong. It cannot be improved in any way. So now you have the two conflicts going on within you. So with that, I want to take us to the next point that I think is important for us to understand from Paul's perspective. And what we're going to talk about is what does it feel like when we have this kind of conflict inside of us? And I put feel in your notes in 
in quotes because I don't want you to just go on a feeling. It could be what you experience or the description of the conflict. But in some ways, some of you are feeling this conflict because emotionally it's dragging you down. It's really draining you. It's causing you to really maybe even come to the point of questioning your faith or even giving up. So there's a little bit of a feeling. Now, I am so glad that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us, at least from this passage of Scripture, five different descriptives of what it's like to have this battle going on inside of you. And I'd like you to take uh, careful notes and pay careful attention to this so that you'll understand that he had this. One writer said that this would be the autobiography of Paul. And if you've studied the New Testament at all, you'll notice that Paul will frequently refer to himself almost in every book in some measure, using in some measure an example of God working in his life. And as a little side note, that's why occasionally I like to share with you a little bit about what I'm going through, what I've learned, something that's happening to me. And I certainly hope that I don't put myself always at the winning end of the illustration, but at the same time on a journey just like you are, but also experiencing victory from time to time as I will yield to the Lord. That being said now, this could be referred to as the autobiography of the Apostle Paul. I also could title this message, instead of the battle within, the portrait of of a struggling Christian. And maybe some of you could even say this, this is the portrait of me, what I'm going through, this conflict that's going on in my life. So let's see how Paul does this by an autobiographical way as he shares his own testimony of having this struggle in his life. All right, follow along, if you will, as we begin in verse 14. The first thing he does is he identifies that he says, I have a problem. I have a problem. Let's just read verse 14, and I'll read it to you, and you can follow along. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. Basically saying by that is that the law is good. It's spiritual. It came from God. It has good teachings in it. It is spiritual, which means it's only by the Spirit of God that this law could be fulfilled. But he says, but I am of flesh sold into bondage. So his problem is saying that even though I've trusted Christ as my Savior, we know that in context of other places, he says that sin still has a tremendous hold on me. So let me just ask some of you a question. When you trusted Christ as Savior, some of you know that you were really wrestling with an enslaving iniquity that you had. Some of you might know what it was. It could have been bitterness. It could have been greed. It could have been moral impurity. But something that was really almost a besetting sin in your life. Now, when you trusted Christ as Savior, you had that momentary euphoric, boy, I'm so glad that I'm saved and I really love the Lord and, boy, do I really see how bad this is right now, but I'm so much focusing on the Lord that right now I'm not paying as much attention to the greed, the moral impurity or bitterness, and you can name your sin in there, whatever it might be, and you're dealing with that. But then now you think, well, now that I've trusted Christ, I no longer will be bitter. I will no longer have moral impure thoughts. I will no longer be greedy. And yet you find yourself still struggling with that. Going back to when I introduced the message, you might be thinking, well, then did I really trust Christ as Savior? Now you add to that some improper teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you will find that people will hammer that. And I'd like to show you this verse to let you know that even though you've trusted Christ, you still will have that bondage of sin capability because sin is so strong. Turn, if you hold your place here, but turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just turn there very quickly. It's not in your notes. I wanted you to see this. And many of you might even have this underlined in your Bible. So if you will, follow along because it's such a rich verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
That means if you've trusted Christ, you've been accepted into Christ, you are now in Christ. We taught you that before. It says, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Or behold, all things passed away. Behold, all things are new. And they leave the impression that once you've trusted Christ as Savior, you no longer are dealing with those kinds of problems in your life. Now let's take you back for a moment. And and guests that are here, you might want to pick this up. We taught positional truth and practical truth. Positionally, when you trusted Christ as Savior, you were already perfect in Christ. At the same time, positionally, when you trusted Christ, all the old things did pass away, and you are now perfect in Christ. That's your position. Practically, the old things have not passed away. You will still struggle with moral impurity, bitterness, and greed, and you can fill in all the other sins that you might be struggling with, whatever it might be. It'll still be there because the bondage of sin is so enslaving in your life, even as a Christian. However, I don't want you to feel beat down. The advantage you have above others that have not trusted Christ as Savior is that now you have a new nature. You have the capacity of the Holy Spirit within you. So as you're faced with that enslaving sin, you can have victory over that, even though the struggle is going on. So Paul is saying, I've got a problem. I've trusted Christ. I know that the law is is spiritual. It's important. It's valuable. It pointed me to Christ. It lets me know I can't save myself. It lets me know that Christ is the only way to heaven. So it's good, but I'm still enslaved to sin. So what you need to own is the fact that you and I as believers will continue to struggle with sin for the rest of our lives, and yet God still provides us a way to have victory in those struggles. So it's a winnable battle is what we're saying. Let's look at the second feeling or descriptive. Go back to Romans now, if you will, Romans chapter 7 again. He now says, I'm confused. Let's read the passage. He says, for what I'm doing, I don't understand, for I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. But I'm doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law. Why? Because the law is telling me that that's wrong and I shouldn't be doing that. And I'm confessing that the law is good. So it it has value. It's letting me know that that's sin. Now let's take you back for a moment again. When we looked at the law, it actually revealed how bad we are. And the more we see how bad we are, the more we need to have the good news, which is found in Christ. So to get good news, we have to see how bad the bad news is. And what identifies the bad news as being bad is the law. So that's why he's saying the law is good. All right, that's what's important. And boy, when I see this, I see that I'm not really making it. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have come to different points in your life, and maybe even right now, that you see yourself doing things that you wished you didn't do? Evil things. Some of you are saying, there are things that I would really want to do good, and I'm not doing those. There are bad things that I don't want to do, and I keep on doing that. You struggle with that. So you wrestle with that, especially at night when you're going to sleep. And now you have this feeling of yuckiness over you, this feeling of uncomfortableness over you. And so you wrestle with that, and you know that it's not right, and you kind of covered it up during the day because your mind was stronger then, but you still didn't deal with it, and you feel even more guilty so that by the time you wake in the morning, you're just flooded with, you know what, today, today, I am, I am not going to do that today the negative, the sin, and I am going to do, and whatever that positive. So you start your day with a new commitment that I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to lose my temper, I'm not going to have morally impure thoughts, and you have that going on in the morning. And you commend yourself for that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. You wish to do that good. We all want to do the right and not do the evil. But then we find that during the day we still struggle with it. That's what Paul is saying here. So what we're getting from Paul's life is an honest admission that he's confused. What is going on in my life? Now, pause. We're calling this an autobiography. 
I do not want you to think that Paul lived in that conflict all the time because we get to Romans 8. He's saying, in the chapter of my life as I deal with it, this is the conflict that I have. When we get to chapter 8 in a couple of weeks, you're going to see the victory that he has over that. But it is very much a part of our life. We'll never leave it. It'll always be there. But it's a winnable war, so we'll have more victories than defeats in those times. So he says, I'm really confused. And when I look at the phrase, I am doing, I don't understand, I'm not practicing... Do you know that Paul had what I refer to as an eye problem? When I went through this passage, just these last 12 verses, I found that the word I was found 24 times, me was found 7 times, my was found 6 times. What he is saying is simply this, that it's a me problem. So when you focus on me and not him, we'll have those struggles. You've heard us say before that when we say something, it's like, I can't. I can't do this. I, I, I just can't do this. I can't win. I can't do this. But he can, watch this, therefore I will. So it's still an act of will in this thing. It's not that we approve of what we're doing. What we're saying is that we have to accept our failures but not approve of our failures. And we can do that in Christ. So he says, I'm, I'm confused. And so maybe you're struggling with that as well. So at the end of the day, you say, man, is there any help for me? And there is. And you're here today. And hopefully in the weeks to come, you'll gather this and, and learn from it. The third, he's basically expressing a frustration. He says, I'm frustrated. So let's go back to the passage. So he says all of the stuff that he's struggling with, he now moves to his frustration level in verses 17 through verse 20. So he says, So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. So in other words, sin, again, the enslaving part of sin, the wickedness and the power of sin that's dwelling inside of him is really causing him to have this conflict. In verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, you might say that, oh, he must have had a real low self-esteem. Actually, he could have a very high and proper, balanced self-esteem. What he's basically saying is, I don't have such a self-esteem about me that I think I'm perfect, I'm better than everybody else, and I'm a Christian. Look, I'm an apostle, I'm better than you. He doesn't have such a low self-esteem that he says, I'm no good, I'm a worm, I'm a nothing, and then he leaves it there. He has a balanced self-esteem that says, in of myself, no good... No good dwells within me. Evil dwells within me. At the same time, he says, not I, but Christ who lives in me. So with those two things going on, he has a balanced self-image. Let's go a little bit further. He says, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me. In other words, I want to do this. My wish, I wish I'd do this. I'd like to do this. That's a good thing. But the doing of the good is not. So now he has this attitude of wanting to do something, and then he had the activity of doing that which is not good. Verse 19. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil I don't want to. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it. But sin which dwells in me. So he was still struggling with that sin that was inside of him. So I wanted you to see that sin is the, as a, as a dirty bird in this whole thing in our lives and to be aware of that. And so he's frustrated with the battle that he has within us. And maybe you have the same struggle as well, just like he did. But I want you to stay with us because in the weeks ahead, we're going to show you, like Paul learned, how to have the victory in this. But that's not all. He then goes on to say that I'm in a battle and I actually feel like I'm losing this battle. Now, what I don't want to do is ask you the question, how many of you are seated here today and raise your hand if you feel like as a Christian, almost every day you have failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed? I don't want to embarrass you. But maybe you're going through one of those periods in your life and you're really struggling with that. Again, today I'm only analyzing your situation biblically, theologically through this passage. I will give you some hope at the end. 
But next week, we're going to talk about the Christian life at its finest from chapter 8. And I want to show you that you don't have to live that defeated life as a believer with this battle going on in your flesh and the sin that does all this through your members causes you to feel that defeated. You don't have to be that way. And so I want you to be back with us if you can or get a copy of the CD if you're unable to be. So let's go further and you'll see why he feels that in this battle that he's losing. He said, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Okay, I got that truth. No one who, uh, no one who wants to do good The one who, let me read it again. I find the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. That means in me, the new me. I want to do good, but evil is still inside. For I joyfully concur that the law of God in the inner man, that's my new self, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So you see that he's really struggling with this tremendously. So, Romans 6 deals with sin. Romans 7 deals with I. Romans 8 will deal with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is not mentioned at all in chapter 7? And when you remove the the knowledge and the usefulness of the Holy Spirit from your life, you can't take the Spirit out of your life, but when you remove yourself from the knowledge that it's there and the usefulness of the Spirit in your life, you will continually live that defeated life. So somewhere along the line, there's that loss of connectivity and releasing of the Holy Spirit's power and usefulness for you to have the victory. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.